I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Gather around the campfire, everyone. It's time for The Connor and Smith Show. That was a nice riff. You're going to get the dogs going. Tell me a story. Uh, We're going to talk to our friend Evan Garofalo tonight. Evan um, works with Bones. She'll tell you her official title. I will get it wrong. Um, But it's a very interesting discussion. Bone person. She's a bone lady. She teaches um, out in... uh, Oh, God, I can't think of... What was I trying to say? Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, she... She got to learn from the Chandra Levy case. We talk about the bodies exhibit, um, about working with bones that are thousands of years old. Mummies. Mummies being alone in the basement of the Smithsonian Smithsonian in the dark with mummies um, when somebody shuts the light out. A whole bunch of fun stuff uh, to wrap your brain around. So uh, we will take a break and then we will be right back. From award-winning journalist and author, Michael Lee Pope, The Ghosts of Alexandria. His spellbinding book tells of historical intrigue, the brutal beginnings of a port city, romances that end in tragedy, restless spirits like the tomb of the female stranger who's said to haunt Gadsby's tavern, and the three falling ghosts of the Carlisle House. Explore the supernatural journey of the ghosts of Alexandria, available at ArcadiaPublishing.com. From Dathan Auerbach, author of Pen Pal, comes the chilling horror novel, Bad Man. Booklist raves, it's magnificent. The Shining, set in a grocery store. The Washington Post calls it atmospheric and unsettling. Takes on an aura of almost gothic menace. And USA Today says it's wickedly effective and saves its darkest deeds for an unnerving end. Bad Man, by Dathan Auerbach. Available at 1000vultures.com Hello! Hi, Evan. How are you? I am doing good. How are you, Stephen? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm I'm really good. Great to hear your voice. Yeah. I'm here with two snoring pugs and my husband Matt. Hi, Evan. oh lovely. Hi, Matt. How are you? Oh God, who cares? We've been sitting in the living room for two and a half years. <laughs> it, gets, it gets longer every time he says that. I mean, we haven't had a pandemic for two and a half years, but that's okay. <laughs> well, it feels like two and a half years. It does. I agree. Where are you calling us from? Well, uh, wait, Phoenix. We're calling you. Yes. Where, well, where yeah. are you answering from? Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, nice. So you've had many careers and jobs since. We'll get into the history of how we met, but what are you? What is currently your work status? I am currently an assistant professor at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. And I teach um, human gross anatomy to first-year medical students and allied health and graduate students. Gotcha. So smart lady stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> or morbid lady stuff, whichever so way. Basically, <laughs> basically, anything that has to do with skeletal things, bones. Yeah, so I, I'm a biological anthropologist, um, and I study human skeletal remains from past populations. And I look at, um, primarily my focus is, you know, skeletal growth and the development of bone strength and growth variation in different populations with um, different health environments. And then um, I use, you know, actual, you know, soft tissue and bony anatomy in my research. And so I went into um, teaching and studying gross anatomy in humans as well. Gross anatomy. Yes. Not being the, disgusting anatomy. <laughs> right. Yes. Not disgusting. Like the, all the, of it. the stuff you can see. I don't do like microscopic anatomy. What's the oldest um, bones, human or animal or otherwise or that you've ever worked on? That I've directly worked on were... Um, I would say I think nine thousand years old, approximately. Wow, which is human. which is older than some, maybe those who follow a very biblical <laughs> thing is is older than the six thousand Jesus Noah story, right? Yes, exactly, and yeah, and there were no dinosaurs concurrently running around with humans. <laughs> right, which is, I believe, what is in a museum somewhere in, I believe, Kansas. So <laughs> I Kansas. watched, um, which makes me an expert. Yes, of course. I watched. He a- went to the school of Netflix. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. With it's that. a great school. It's it's <laughs> very well accredited, and you know, and I you, think it's won some awards. I yeah. watched a debate between Bill Nye uh-huh. and Doc. What was his last name? He was he was in charge of like the Noah's Ark exhibit, like in yeah. Kentucky. I want to say it's brown or something, or maybe something very he, simple. Of course, one of the biggest things that kept coming up was, uh, I guess, like carbon dating, and there's mm-hmm. like you know, oh, there's a hundred ways to date something, and they all vary and they all change and and whatnot, but. I mean, in reality, when you're dating someone, or dating someone, like, <laughs> you're, you're dating yourself. When there. you're dating someone named Carbon, <laughs> but when you're dating Carbon, the one thing that doesn't change is sort of, I mean, just like any equation in millions of years, maybe it, 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 it's off by, a, you know, a couple thousand or I don't even know how that works, but yeah. you can get a relatively close date because carbon is something that's a tangible thing mm-hmm. in our universe mm-hmm. yes and it degrades at a fixed time schedule it it's not like it's suddenly going to you know ramp up its speed and so you can yeah exactly you can it's fixed you get some variation depending on you know some minute differences in the collection but it's not that big it's not when you are working on something is the Mm -hmm. carbon something that Mm -hmm. i would uh, look at like a liquid 
eyedropper of something that goes on and then comes back out with the, the droplets on it? Is it something that's like a laser looking into it? How do you actually get the date process? You know, um, the only way I've ever seen it done is from a lab report on a piece of paper. So I've never actually done carbon dating. But from my understanding, when I've seen people collect pieces to give for carbon dating, it, you send off like a chip of bone or soil or whatever you're sending. And um, I don't know. I want to say they burn it, but mm -hmm. don't quote me on that. Because mm, that would make sense because then you would collect mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Do you... If if we find a bone where you are in Arizona in the mm -hmm. in the sand, but also then find a bone in that what was that tar pit thing where a bunch of La Brea La, La Brea, Brea. Mm -hmm. if we find a bone there in La Brea tar pit and then we go to like an icy mountaintop Mount mm -hmm. Everest, do all three of those have three different variables based on where they're found in the world? Yes, you're going to run into a lot of environmental differences with right. those. So not only with your ge geological um, level and time scale that you're looking at there, but then let's say in Arizona, we're dealing with hot and dry and um, things uh, desiccate really quickly and easily here. And we also have a lot of scavenging. Um, and, and it has something to do with the acidity of the yeah. soil too, right? Yes. So in Virginia has very acidic soil and things do not last very long in soil in Virginia. Whereas like La Brea and even let's say, um, you know, the bogs in um, England and Europe where it's anaerobic, where there's no oxygen. So you don't get decomposition. Things just, um, preserve very nicely interesting and um, similarly in something like um you know really cold climate that is also dry um you get a really nice preservation there too it's like a it's like a, a cold dry yeah, air preservation last two years maybe i've been in covid but i'm i think recently <laughs> relatively recently found some sort of like preserved animal in Siberia, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was like a little baby something or whatever. Yeah. I think I remember there was a wolf also that was found. Yeah. Recently. That's got to be yeah. fascinating. I mean, your degree has changed since you, I mean, your teaching job has changed probably since you were a student. Yes. And you probably learn different stuff, like in a matter of five years, everything has kind of changed a little bit of like, oh, now we can take visitors up to space and just say hi to the horizon and fly back down. <laughs> well, let's, let's let's take a look at your skeleton and see what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you work with a lot of... Um, I'm sorry, Stephen. This nope. is, I'm all of a sudden like the only person on The View. It's fine. Netflix University did this to you. Yeah, Well, that's great. Uh, so when you work on skeletons, let's say in the in the last 100 years, you are probably working with cadaver skeletons that were checked off with a certificate that said, I donate my body to science Ooh, or found is, in the bottom of a lake. That is a really good question. Um, 
because that's something that is sort of very timely in terms of the ethics and morality of body donation and um, and the, the history of anatomy. It has a very checkered past um, with, you know, body snatching and um, institutionalized racism in various forms and and features in how um, what bodies were selected to, for for dissection and how those were treated. Does this also and, does this also cross with uh, people with mental illness as well? You know, I'm not sure if that was uh, if that was hugely a a population that was a large source of of um, dissected bodies, but it wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Um, we have, uh, there's, there are certain, um, there's not a sort of regulated national approach to how bodies are selected for dissection. At the University of Arizona, we have a willed body program. So people specifically will their body to our program for um, medical education. And if somebody in the family decides that they're not comfortable with their loved one being part of, of um, an educational environment, then they're no longer part of that donation program. So everybody who comes through our doors for medical education is like, was very enthusiastic about their participation. Um, and, but in other places, Sometimes there's uh, bodies that come through that were unclaimed. And so the, the, the ethics of it is a little bit questionable, whether or not, uh, you know, dissection is something they, they would have agreed to. But then on the other hand, there's also family members who may or may not have been able to afford um, burial. So there's, there's a couple of, of big questions that the field is grappling with. I have one more question. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm so fascinated. (laughs) I've been waiting for years. Um, Do you, do university programs ever share, I I, I don't want to say exhibits, but let's Mm -hmm. say there's a very rare deformity Mm -hmm. in the skeleton that Mm -hmm. uh, do you sometimes share things because there aren't enough to go around and you have to like, ship something because this is like the example of blah 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 uh yes we do that with collections all the time um if the if it was a donated uh example of something we probably might have to get permission to do that but um otherwise in personal collections we might send them around to other scholars and or for other exhibits yeah, there's a great museum in Philly. Have you ever been to the Muter Museum? No. If you are interested, I would recommend it. It's like, um, you know, you've got all kinds of examples of pathologies and um, medical interests um, on exhibit. Yeah, I've, we've heard of that. We've heard of that in Philadelphia. Yeah. I just wanted to sneak in before Matt um, th- thought of another question. Uh, okay. This, this all reminds me a lot about... The, do you remember the bodies exhibit? Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, okay, yeah. so I, yeah. I've had many 
odd jobs throughout my life. Uh, <laughs> and we'll get into that. That's how you and I met. But yeah. I, I, at a certain point, worked at a place downtown on 7th and D that was called Ticket Place. Mm-hmm. And we were selling discounted tickets to the bodies exhibit because I, there was a lot of people who were not sure how they felt about it. Yes. Um, do you yeah. remember any of that kind of like hubbub about that? I do. There was, um, and it, it gets to that same question about provenience of bodies. I believe that there, it was unclear where that group acquired the bodies that they dissected. Right. And I think that there were questions. Ooh, it's so foggy from a couple of, from so, what was it, 20 some odd years ago at this point? I think, um, I, let's see. I think it was like 2008, 2009. Yeah. So yeah. Closer I think it, than you think. Oh gosh. So yeah, the, uh, I think it, there were questions about whether or not the bodies came from executed prisoners in from and then that became a question of ethics whether or not that was an acceptable I, I want to say that that exhibition I thought was supposed to have a longer life than it did and I don't yeah. know whatever happened to it if it got shut down or what um I will say that there was a lot of hubbub in town that there was uh, some freaky stuff happening where they were exhibited, like after hours, like security guards seeing shit or hearing things. Um, what? Yes. Do you remember that? Well, I used to get all this, the hubbub because I worked at the ticket, you know, ticket, <laughs> I call it ticket shack, but like we would get reports in from all the, the box office. We'd have to call in of like, these are the sales and we had relationships with people. And sometimes there was a few, you know, exchanges. And I remember saying like, uh, yeah, the security guards can't wait for this show to be gone. They start hearing <laughs> things at night. I'm like, well, that's, that's, <laughs> quite possibly a lot of suggestion and just weirdness. They were, for those of you not uh, in remembrance of this weird thing, or maybe perhaps not living in a big city that housed this, this is like a traveling um, cavalcade of corpses basically on display that were in various different forms of removal of skin, uh, muscle, uh, uh, ligaments um it, it was like one was just a nervous system basically mm -hmm. um it was it was really kind of interesting yet assaulting to look at mm -hmm. um and think this was once a living breathing human mm -hmm. and now they're like in a new form of nudity you know extreme mm -hmm. nudity um just before, you know, people who are strolling by, you know, on their way to brunch, um, just seemed very, like a very bizarre ethical mm -hmm. statement. Um, yeah. Bodies, boy, we're really driving into the past. Um, so <laughs> speaking of driving into the past, I wanted to yeah. get into where you and I first met. We're going to take that time machine back, like, almost 20 years because when did you, so we met Evan and I met working uh, at dogma daycare center for dogs on Capitol Hill. Do you remember what year you started? I must've started in 2000. It had to have been, I think maybe two, early 2001. Cause were you that you were there before me? 
No, you you were there before me. So you okay? Maybe then that clarifies that because I started like Monday, September tenth, two thousand one. Oh. oh my gosh! Okay, you're like yeah. very. I'm assuming that you had a nice two September eleven as your your little marker point there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I just remember looking. Uh, it was my second day, and like, oh my I needed a I needed a job so bad because I was you know needed a survival job with all my acting gigs that were not paying mm-hmm. enough. I was not a union actor at the point, um, and it was my second day. And God, I think his name was Kevin, manager. The, the manager. It was, the time? it was Luke. Luke. Yeah, that was Luke, Luke. Said, "Steven, get in here." And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired for doing something on the second day. What did I do? And he just did that with force because he wanted to show me what was happening on TV. Oh, my gosh. And the, the first, uh, you know, plane had hit. And we were just standing there like like everyone did going, oh, my gosh, this is a terrible accident. And then as we were watching the second one hit and we were like, oh, oh my God. Gosh. We didn't know how much time had passed until, like, I looked just out of, like, responsibility and remembering. And do you remember that front window of dogma that was outside mm-hmm. the office? Mm-hmm. It was, like, 40 dogs were peering in, all silent, <laughs> just looking at us like they knew something was wrong. Because um, oh that yard was never quiet. Remember that? No, that was not. It was, like, cacophony. Yeah. So, anyway, that's just my my tie into this. Wow. Um and just so we know, historically, uh, the the summer before 9-11 was all about Chandra Levy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all that was on the news. That and shark attacks. That was it. Um, there was a bunch <laughs> of shark attacks that summer in, like, New Jersey. Um, but, How do you remember this? I'm so impressed with your memory. It's not memory, Evan. It's research. Okay. Um, I do remember it after I researched it. I was like, oh, I vaguely remember all of that crap. Um, Because I'm morbidly interested in shark attacks as well, right? Right, Right, of course. Um, But so that was all that was on the news. And then Chandra was gone from the news as soon as Mm -hmm. 9-11 happened. Um, And and things kind of took bizarre turns from there in her legal Mm -hmm. case. But... um, I can't remember when you started either. It must have been sometime in 2001 or 2002. It must have been. So I moved back to D.C. from New Orleans in 2000. And I was working at the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. And not getting paid a whole heck of a lot. And I was living in Arlington with some buddies at night, like during 9-11. And then later on, I moved to, I think it was Northeast. And I think that's when I started working at Dogma. So it must, it was after 9-11, but I couldn't pinpoint exactly when. If this gives any insight, so Chandra's skeletal remains were found in May 2002. Okay. Okay. So somewhere between September 11 and May 2002. I started working at Dogma. <laughs> That's about as thorough as the Washington <laughs> Police Department's uh, research into her missing uh, status. Yes. Um, there's, there's. This is a famous 
case about like mistakes. Yes. Um, the the police department searched Rock Creek three times. Um, one time they found nothing, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until this is a funny, not funny, but interesting uh, blend of what subjects we're talking about. A dog found up one of her bones. So the police department sweep now to be fair rock creek park is two times bigger than central park in new york um it's a large area but a dog found the bone (laughs) um so that's a a dog literally led everybody to her remains and clothes that were like not on the remains but nearby um Uh almost as if like yeah this is an accident here's stuff um and her, her bones were not intact, right? They were kind of a little scattered. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how, how did you get involved with this kind of uh, examination of the bones? I believe I was mostly armchair examination. Yeah. Of those bones. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I didn't. I didn't participate with them directly. Uh, I knew the person who was evaluating and, um, you know, conducting an analysis on them, but I myself never saw them. Yeah, but it was like a learning experience mm-hmm. through that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. and what's really upsetting about the whole story is there really doesn't seem to have ever been any justice carried out. Mm-mm. because the the man who was of course there was a congressman gary condit who was also speaking of rock creek being searched three times gary was interviewed three times before he finally said okay yeah i was having an affair <laughs> um, then there was an informant guy who said that uh uh his first name the the ingmar guandique was bragging about mm-hmm. that he killed Chandra Levy, but this informant guy was about as honest and trustworthy as no one. Um, <laughs> so Guandique was uh, was arrested. He was convicted, but then after I think it was a couple, maybe five years in, more material surfaced that kind of said the informant was really not a reliable witness. So instead of retrying, the prosecution basically just agreed to deport Guandique. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, uh, arrested before for assaulting women in Rock Creek Park, but those women were not killed. Um, so it's, it's impossible. Does he fit the print of who probably did it? Sure. Um, I, I, he was rumored to have been seen like beaten up and scratched up by his landlord as he was coming home and he didn't go to work that day. Um, so I'm wondering that fits the profiles um it seems right but it also there's there's other things involved here that make it like okay so if it seemed like him why was he just deported um and the timeline of it really is interesting to me because he was deported in may may 5th 2017 so this has been some time um and there's there's not any other real like it's I guess there are conspiracy theories, but um, 
it, it's just a, a weird unsettling thing that never kind of got the closure. And I feel so much for her family. Um, and the, the, the fact that uh, of course, Gary Condit lost his seat for reelection, big shock. Um, and he moved, I think, let's see. He moved to, I've got my research right here. Paraguay. Oh, this is a funny tie in, uh, Evan. Condit mm-hmm. retired from politics and moved to Phoenix, Arizona with his wife. Get out of here. To manage real estate and open two Baskin Robbins franchises, which have since closed. Oh, wow. So Gary Condit's where you are. He is. I wonder where he is. So there's this movie about this girl who works at this dog place. And this this other guy who works just miles away on the hill and how their lives cross. And (laughs) it's interesting, though. It is interesting. So, Evan, if 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 Bones were to come to the Smithsonian, Mm -hmm. is that correct? Her bones came to the Smithsonian. Uh, I believe so. And if if they if they were someplace like that, what are we looking at? A, a bag of how, how do you care? Uh, how do you care for bones? And you keep them dry, you keep them uh, mm-hmm. in a bag, are they in a box? Do they lay I, them out like the skeleton to put it back yeah, together? So usually they'll come in in either a paper bag or a box or some sort of um, like nicely enclosed. And if it's evidence, it's going to be taped. Um, and then the first thing you're going to do is pull bones out and lay them out in anatomical position. So as though somebody were laying on a table um, with, you know, legs straight out and down and their palms facing up. And so that you would use that to catalog exactly which bones were present, the condition of them, and you would start to um, create an inventory And then from there, you would start your analyses of, you know, estimating sex and age and looking at trauma and all that good stuff. And you still can, even though the bones seem to be the last uh, structure left, you still can uh, find little uh, indications of uh, struggle and death and stuff. Sometimes, yes. Assuming that they're all there, (laughs) you can... You can sometimes find it. Um, so it seemed as though I would assume that because Chandra's bones were disarticulated and not found necessarily close to one another, that you know animals tend to move things around, right. especially once decomposition happens. And uh, it's easy to, to pull pieces apart and disarticulate things. And some animals will be able to pull um, elements further and further away than others and down into their holes and burrows. And so a lot of times you're not going to find everything, especially smaller bones. And then you get, I think she was found on a hill, wasn't she? It was a ravine, actually. A ravine. Yeah. So, the, yeah, you could have, you know, rainwater runoff that might scatter smaller elements even more. Um, there was a bone. What's the the bone in the throat that they found yeah. broken? That's the like clear indicator of like a strangulation. Yeah, it's called the hyoid bone, and you can feel it in yourself. If uh, I wouldn't press too hard, but if you drop down along your your chin and your jaw, 
and you'll feel your larynx, your voice box, right in the middle. All right, and everybody's you... doing this right now, right? Everybody feel along. <laughs> yep. I mean, along yeah. the front of your throat, you'll feel, you'll feel your larynx and it's going to vibrate when you talk. And then if you move upwards towards your jaw um, and you swallow, you'll feel this bone kind of move up and down and you can push on it, hopefully not too hard, and <laughs> wiggle it around. Do y'all feel it? It's like mm -hmm. hard, like almost like a little collar. And mm -hmm. um, it's just sort of floating in muscle and and tendons. And that's called the hyoid. And it your tongue's attached to it. Um, several muscles in your neck are attached to it so that those muscles move, um, move it up and down and then can stabilize it so that your tongue can move. That is a really fun class exercise we all just did. <laughs> I love it. Um, and yet at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, mm -hmm. I don't want to push too hard. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, when you're especially young, when you're younger, it's bones aren't as brittle, I suppose we might say. So there's going to be a little bit more flexibility. Um, it's not always entirely a clear gotcha when that bone gets fractured, that it's strangulation. And sometimes you could strangle somebody and it wouldn't fracture. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good, it's a great hypothesis builder. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that she had, I, I, and we don't have, I'm actually much more fascinated just talking about bones in general, but we don't <laughs> have to make the rest of this about her. But I did hear that she had mentioned to someone that she hated Rock Creek Parkway and she oh. thought it was creepy, but yet her last Google search was Rock Creek Parkway. Some mansion. And, and that yeah. uh, mansion. Um, oh, I can't remember what that mansion was called. Yeah. It's somewhere off of Rock Creek, right? Mm -hmm. Something, mm -hmm. something Kissinger or no? It gets... Klingle? Was it Klingle? Yeah, no. yep, yep, yep. That's it. What is that? Klingle Mansion. Why don't you look oh, it I up, right. girl? <laughs> Evan, have you ever worked on a um, on a situation, whether it be as a teacher or as a student, or just in general, been in a the presence of? Uh, a situation where it was not um i don't want to say it was creepy but that you kind of was like oh gosh this is a this is a messy <laughs> this is a mess messy project or feels kind of like a, a mysterious thing that you kind of don't want to get involved with since we're kind of in that spooky season is there anything that just gave you goosebumps while working um, in, in your field there were a couple of times especially in at the smithsonian I worked, um, my lab was in the basement and it used to be a parking garage and they enclosed it and it became a great place for storage. And, and then also the mummies were kept down there for a while because it was cool and dry and you could climate control it. And then, you know, you put the, the young person who, um, you know, doesn't have any chops in the field. You stash them down in the in the basement lab, but there was plenty of space. So it was dark when the lights weren't on, and the light switch was very far away. 
and oftentimes the security guard would just turn off the lights without, you know, checking to make sure that I, anybody was down there. Oh my God. So I was left in there like, hello? <laughs> hello, can you turn the lights on? <laughs> and this and mommy says no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there was one, we got one collection of mummies from Mongolia, um, from the Gobi Desert. And we suspected that these folks had been murdered and put into a cave where they were found. And we noticed that um, one of the, the mummies skull was disarticulated um, in such a way that would indicate that they probably had a, a bar or some sort of stick behind their neck and then their head was pulled backwards and then they had bitten off the tip of their tongue. So it was one of those like moments. Right. And I was, it, so there was a nice little goosebump moment there when we started to realize that that's what we suspected might've happened to these folks. Well, we've been talking a lot about, you know, energy and, and stuff on this season about, you know, not necessarily bad energy or good energy, but just, I would imagine just even being in the presence of something that sort of is so ancient and has so many years to it just must feel kind of like a very powerful thing. It is indeed. Uh, just to even fathom that this thing is thousands of years old and <laughs> that it came from a part of the world that you've never been to in the never got to experience a Starbucks. <laughs> but that's in incredible. It is. And then to think about how, you know, their lives, even though technology might not have been there or, you know, certain aspects in culture might not have been present or developed yet you know interpersonally folks didn't ch haven't changed all that much like we still have families and friends and you know dreams and ambitions and you know treat our loved ones when they're sick and you know celebrate major life events and in turkey there are these little um like little clay I, I work in a in a, a site called Shuttle Hewick in Turkey, and there are these little clay figurines from 9,000 years ago, and some folks think that they might have been, you know, children making these figurines, and there were these balls of clay that it's not well understood what they were used for, but they have little tooth impressions from a five or six-year-old. So like some kid picked up this ball of clay that was going to be used for an adult thing and bit into it and then left their little tooth impression <laughs> because that's what kids do. Right. <laughs> they yeah, mess everything up. Exactly. It's so like, you, kid, now I've got to throw this ball of clay away. <laughs> right. And so you actually fly physically to Turkey to be a part of this? Uh, yes. Yeah. That just instantly reminds me of our friend Ilkim. I know. It was 
when I, the first time I went, I was like, I really wish that I could sit and chat with Ilkim about you know, Turkey and meet up with her and have some tea. Yeah. Ilkim, just for those who are listening, was one of our managers at Dogma at the time. Um, at one of our favorite people. She was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she still is awesome. She's not past. She's still with no. us. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's probably also pretty humbling, I guess, for anyone to leave, like you, leave the United States, which, which seems to have kind of more recent... Uh, well, maybe maybe not. I guess I, have, I guess there have been dinosaurs found in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, traveling to another region that maybe feels uh, older, I'm sure, is even more... Um, weighty uh, in, in history and years and whatnot. Where, where, where were their dinosaurs found in America? Like oh, the, all over. All yeah. over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I know in Wyoming and Virginia along the coast. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and pretend I know anything about dinosaurs in the history in the United States, but I know that it's sprinkled all over the place. Yeah, I want to say Colorado has a lot. Yeah. Actually, um, in Arizona, we have some as mm-hmm. well. Um, California. I am, I'm just doing a 360 veer here. I I have this picture I'm staring at that I found last night that I took a picture of and sent to you. Um, mm-hmm. We've been talking about bones. I want to talk about flesh. I was yeah. <laughs> I was trying to like dabble in special effects makeup because that seemed like a really good career in Arlington in 2002. Uh, <laughs> to get into and I I think one night we had some gin and tonics and I made you up to look like a burn victim or something (laughs) Um, and I have a photo of it and I just it's disgusting and I'm very (laughs) proud of my work Um, but uh, I I have to I'll have to share this photo I cannot believe it's not been 20 years after all so it doesn't feel as bad Evan Um, okay it's been at least you know, 19. <laughs> right, which is better. You know, we haven't got, reached the double decade. There. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, but uh, thank you so much for talking to us. It was so good to hear your voice again and catch up and talk about like morbid, creepy things. Yes, yeah, it was I'm wonderful. Sorry I talked my, I talked too much, didn't I? No, you, you were fine, honey. You were just fine. I think it's just fascinating. And you must also feel really, really good about doing something every day with your students and yourself something that just completely inspires you it is it makes uh it makes something that could be a difficult task to be you know something that is um i I gain a lot of satisfaction from it so it's very nice i'm sure also what you all do in you know creating your art and musicals and um, performing arts it's being able to do that is a lovely um, you know expression of yourself it's just like leaving behind mental bones yeah yeah exactly you know <laughs> I like that yeah I mean so is this podcast in a way it's just all kind of things left behind yeah, yeah. How morbid. Um, on that note, uh, we love you, Evan. Uh, much love to Arizona. Yep. Oh, thanks. I love you guys. It was so much fun to talk to you. We're still here, just two dogs from the Pentagon. Yep. <laughs> Same place, Fairlington. Um, yep. ah. So if you're ever in the, the, the neighborhood, look us up. 
Yes, I will do. I will do. Next time I fly to the East Coast. Yeah, and if I ever need to track down uh, Gary Condit, I'll just make sure I, I knock on your door first. Yeah, you know, you've got a place to rest your head. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Evan, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Evan, so much. It was great to catch up with you and hear your voice. Haven't, ugh, haven't talked since nineteen years ago. Um, so that's nuts. Uh, another reason I love doing this podcast is kind of touch base with friends um, from all phases of our lives. Um, I could have talked about bones. Do you have some food in your mouth? Yeah, I'm taking. I'm I'm experimenting with a new gummy. It's called an ashwagandha gummy. It's supposed to make me relaxed. Um, Am I not supposed to podcast while eating gummies? I mean, you just sound kind of... Um... Well, tonight's episode is brought to you by Goli. Golo. No, it's Goli. Goli. <laughs> I think they wouldn't appreciate you calling them Golo. <laughs> when we, when they go low, we go Lee. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay. If you want to know more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. Please find us on Facebook under Connor and Smith. Again, Connor with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Check out the merch store, man. We cannot wait. We're supposed to get it today, and I think it's one more day it'll be here. So we can't wait to do something and show you what what that stuff looks like and we've been talking about what we're going to be doing next season so if anyone has an idea or one of those ideas we're accepting all ideas we may not do the idea but we want to hear from you um so let us what know. is next season that's like probably december yeah just it's a shortened mini season i think kind of like this is this is just like september october what if um, it's all things red and green and just every episode is a red or a green like green light go red light stop i guess i don't know i need need another gummy yeah all right well uh thank you so much for listening again uh we're so excited that the audience ship keeps growing it's crazy we're very flattered um you guys are a great audience and thank you for all your support and messages and uh as we always say in season two never Never stop stop questioning. questioning bye everybody bye